0: For thousands of years, Earth has been visited by strange craft. They vary in shape, they vary in size, but they all have one thing in common. We don't know who's flying them, we don't know where they come from, and we don't know why they're here. Our ancestors tried to tell us about them. They wrote about them in scripture, drew them on cave walls and in paintings, but we ignored them. Treated it as myth, fantasy, and legend. But what if they're more than that? What if unlocking these answers could help us understand where we come from, and could help us understand our place in the universe? Welcome to the
1: Do Not Worry Alien Special.
0: to a brand new episode of do not worry i am your host anthony coming to you once again from the heart of beirut and Jaite. but guys thank you so much for joining me we have an extremely special alien bonanza for you guys today Uh, we're going to be going deep into some alien stuff i hope you guys are prepared mentally i hope you have a drink ready maybe you've got something fat rolled i don't know i ain't here to judge but we're about to go deep on some aliens before we get into anything thank you so much for subscribing we are at 1.31k subscribers 1300 subscribers that's fucking crazy and i'm aiming to get to 2000 subscribers in the next 3 weeks join my channel and become a do not warrior officially uh it's a lofty goal i don't know if we're going to hit 2000 subscribers honestly in the next 3 weeks but let's fucking try we got nothing to lose Thank you so much for leaving a like. Thank you so much for commenting. All of your engagement is extremely helpful. And I'm definitely going to want to see your comments after this episode. I want to know what you guys think about all these alien stories. Which ones are convincing to you? Which ones were not convincing? Uh, We're going to have a lot to talk about. So thank you so much for supporting this channel. Thank you so much for engaging with it. I swear it it helps a lot. Uh, This channel would get buried by the algorithm if it wasn't for your engagement. So uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, Today's episode is going to be probably the longest one i'm probably gonna have to switch batteries on the camera because it can like last for up to 40 minutes or something so buckle up if you guys feel like you're tempted to skip or anything which i don't recommend i would urge that you guys at least watch the final uh, video the final part of this of this podcast which is about the kids in zimbabwe because to me that is the if there's one case I want you guys to walk away from, having learned from this, from this uh, episode, it's the kids in Zimbabwe that saw a UFO in 1994. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Buckle up, this is going to be pretty fucking crazy. Uh, spark up. Okay, so what is this episode going to be about? Well, uh, in a nutshell, I'm going to try to go over the UFO cases that have most convinced me throughout my... 12 years or 13 years of being obsessed with this stuff. Ever since I was 17, 18, had just started college. Um I spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos, reading articles, research all about UFOs. I don't precisely remember what was like the one case that made me like go full in, but it probably might have been Bob Lazar, which we're going to go into that a little bit later. Um so I'm basically going to retrace the stories that had the biggest impact on me and um, Before you guys think I'm crazy or insane, listen, I'm a huge Carl Sagan fan. Carl Sagan, all right, was a huge skeptic. He never believed in any UFO related stuff. I even went as Carl Sagan on Halloween once in 2012. Here's a picture to prove it. So I know the importance of being skeptical, of not believing outlandish things without evidence. I'm fully aware of that. Trust me, if you guys have seen my podcast, you know, I take a measured approach to everything. I like to, to look at the evidence and sort of balance everything out. So I'm not one to jump to conclusions. And believe me, alien, getting into alien stuff can get very overwhelming because you're never gonna get any real answers. And it goes into so many wild directions if you let it. Like, there are people who believe that President Eisenhower signed a treaty with aliens like year, decades ago. In exchange to get alien technology, he would allow the aliens to run experiments on humans and abduct them. For example, there are people that believe that the whole alien UFO thing is a government ruse so that they can one day pretend that there's an alien invasion so that all world governments can unite and create a new world order. There are people who believe aliens live in the core of the earth and like pop out of the ocean and stuff. Which there are a lot of cases of USOs... um, unidentified submerged object. So that is true. But like people believe that there are Martians living on earth. It can, if you let it, it could drive you insane. So, so I've tried to focus on cases that have convincing evidence, maybe uh, not physical evidence, but mass sightings, you know, cases where more than one person saw something, cases where extremely qualified people like Fighter pilots, airline pilots, military personnel saw something. Stuff where it appears on scanners and radars. So, this is going to be very evidence-based. Even though I don't have a physical piece of a UFO to show you, there is more than enough evidence, I think, out there at this point to suggest that there is something going on. And I think the most fascinating thing to me has always been, like, there are things flying in our skies and we don't know what they are. Like, how does that not capture your imagination? How do you not want to find out what that is? And I think in today's world, we're so inundated with information and and social media and like younger generations are constantly being fed so much information that I don't even know if younger people are interested in this kind of thing. But to me, it's like, how could you not be interested in this? You know what I mean? How could you not be interested in the idea that aliens might have already visited us? And there are these unknown crafts that fly in ways that we don't understand, floating around. How can you not be obsessed with that stuff? And I just find that stuff completely fascinating. And um, I hope that a little bit of that can rub off on you guys and you get a little bit curious about this stuff uh, because it is honestly pretty fucking mind bending. And like, I can show you, look, I can show you a bunch of photos that have been proven not to have been fake or doctored. For example, For example, the McMinnville UFO pictures in the 1950s. A farmer just fucking saw a UFO and took a photo of it. It's been proven to be a real photo. The 1966 Baldwin UFO. It was an engineer who who was in his garden and saw a fucking UFO on its side. And he took a Polaroid photo. It has been proven to be real. The 1965 Heflin photos have been proven to not be doctored. In Costa Rica in 1971, the government was taking survey pictures of a hydroelectric power station. And they saw a UFO like a flying disc in the picture. These things are real. These things are there. We can no longer deny it. Now, I'm not telling you that aliens are flying these things. I can't know that for sure. But a UFO stands for Unidentified Flying Object. It doesn't mean it's aliens. It could be human technology. It could be alien technology. But there's something flying out there. And we don't understand it. Or we do. But the government is keeping it secret. But we're going to try to get to the bottom of it. I went back and forth in my head as to whether or not I should start with Roswell, New Mexico, since I figured most people know it, but I think it's an important story to start with because this is what honestly started the whole UFO craze. This is what led to people, you know, assuming that weird experiments were happening in Area 51. And a lot of people still don't know the truth. A lot of people believe the story that it was a weather balloon and all that bullshit. It is not. Something crashed in Roswell in 1947. So here's what basically happened in a nutshell. So William Brazel, a foreman who was working on a ranch in 1947, saw a bunch of debris, like a few miles away from, from where he was working. Calls the Air Force, the Air Force shows up. It's some kind of weird craft that they don't know what it is. So the next day, a newspaper comes out officially saying that the Roswell Army uh, Airfield captures a flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. It's right there on the Roswell Daily Record. It's in the newspaper. They print it out, okay? The next day, after the military gathers and, and, like, they get rid of all the debris, they change their story and claim that army discounts New Mexico find as weather gear. So they try to discount it as it was just a weather balloon. Sorry, it was our mistake. It wasn't a crash disc. We fucked up, apparently. It was just a weather balloon. So you'd think the case was closed. And right there, you can see Major Jesse A. Marcel in this photo uh, carrying, like, the debris of what is apparently just, uh, you know, a weather balloon. Aluminum, tinfoil, uh, some pieces of wood. Well, Anthony, if the army came out and rectified their story and said that actually it was just a weather balloon, why are you still harping about Area 51? Case closed. Ah, uh, not really. You see, there has been an interview with Major Marcel since, like, years later, and I have the interview, I found it on YouTube, where he basically admits that that whole cover story was bullshit. Let's watch it together.
2: The case began when Roswell businessman Dan Wilmot witnessed an amazing object over the town. His son tells the story. This was their home in July of 1947. And it was one summer evening they were sitting out here. Dad looked up in the west and saw an object that Yeah, so there was actually a report and of a UFO and uh,
0: a day before the crash.
2: Rather frightening to him, but he said all of a sudden it seemed to rock a little bit and sort of counterbalance itself. Wiggle a little bit, then seem to settle down and take off. And, and remember how he steam. talks about it. He
0: says it was wiggling. The next
2: day. Remember reporters these details are important. that the Air Force had found fragments of the mystery object crashed on a remote ranch northwest of Roswell. Excitement ran high until officials announced it was only a weather balloon.
3: Mm-hmm. Major or was it was Jesse
2: Marcel. In Jesse Marcel, who we talked about now tells a far different story.
4: They took pictures, of course. They had a whole flock of microphones there. They wanted me to, to, they wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't able to do that. So all I could do is keep my mouth shut. And General Ramey is the one who discussed or uh, uh, told the, pa- the, the newspapers—I mean, the newsmen, what it was and to forget about it. It was nothing more than a ob- weather observation balloon.
0: Weather observation course, which
4: balloon. We, bo- we both knew differently.
0: Of course we both knew differently. There you go, the man himself, the man in the paper, in the newspaper, carrying the fake debris is telling you it was bullshit. What more proof do you need? I don't know, but let's keep going.
2: Major Marcel had to keep silent because of his strategic position at that time. He was in charge of all security and intelligence on atomic tests in the United States and the Pacific. The crash site was so remote it took an entire day to drive there. The following morning, we went out to
4: the site where the crash was, and uh, what I saw, I couldn't believe. There was so much of it; it was scattered over such a vast area. So we proceeded to pick up as much of the debris as we could, loaded in a wagon. We filled that up. It took us a good part of the day to do that, because uh, there were such small fragments, that we had to do a lot of picking. We found a piece of metal, uh, about about a foot and a half to two feet wide and about but two or three feet long. Felt like you had nothing in your hands. It wasn't any thicker than the foil out of a pack of cigarettes. But the the thing about that uh, got me is that you couldn't even bend it. You couldn't bend it, even with a sledgehammer, would bounce off it. So even even a sledgehammer it, couldn't damage it. Never seen anything it. like that before.
2: You've never seen now, anything as like of it before. Now, I
4: don't know what it was.
2: What did crash in this desert? A UFO? A weather balloon? A radar reflecting kite? It was not anything from this earth that I'm quite sure
4: of, because I was big in intelligence office. So I was familiar with just about every, all materials used in aircraft and our air travel.
0: I love you, General was Marcel. Like
4: that. It could not be. It, it could not have been.
0: All right. Well, Anthony, that's just one man. How do you know? Well, well, there's another man in another photo in that same photo shoot. uh, You see right here, those two gentlemen, the guy on the right, uh, his name is Thomas DuBose. He's a retired brigadier general. Uh, He's also on camera before passing away. And he admits that it was all bullshit, that the cover story was bullshit. And I have that interview right here so two of the people that were featured in that newspaper article saying that it was just a weather balloon are on camera saying that it was a cover story let's
1: go in 1947 general raimi's chief of staff was colonel thomas Debose. shortly before he died he was interviewed on home video as a retired brigadier general he is the highest ranking officer ever to comment on the Roswell incident.
5: It was a cover story, the balloon part of it, is the story that's to be given to the press and that is it and, and anything else, forget it. And McMullen, if you ever knew him, he, if you told him that he wanted to run something, he goddamn sure ran story. He knew every facet of the operation, he's a busybody, he, he wanted to... He wanted to know what the hell was going on, who was pissing on the sidewalk and all that sort of
1: thing. General McMullen, the deputy head of Strategic Air Command at the Pentagon, was in charge of the entire operation, according to General Debose.
5: McMullen told me, you are not to discuss this, and this is a point of which this is more than top secret, as he said. It's beyond that. It's within my priority as deputy to to George Kenney, and he in turn responsible to the president, this is the highest priority you can exist, and you will say nothing, and that's the end of it. And and Jesus, that's in the commander-in-chief, and and, you forgot about it.
1: The revelations of DuBois suggested the American Air Force did indeed have something important to hide.
0: Does that guarantee that it was aliens? No, but it was definitely not a weather balloon. So, you can understand why people don't trust the official Roswell story and why Roswell is such a springboard for UFO fanatics, for UFO researchers, uh, enthusiasts. Maybe it was like a super secret American, uh, you know, US government technology. Or maybe it was like the newspaper had originally said they recovered a spacecraft. Okay, now we're jumping. from 1947 to the 2000s, because I, want, I just want to put the UFO topic to bed early so that we can move on with other stuff. So in 2017, uh, the New York Times released an article and leaked three videos captured by uh, the U.S. Air Force, basically, of three different UFOs and three different occurrences. One of them was in 2004, and it was called the Tic Tac. One of them was in, and the other two were in 2015. One of them was nicknamed the Gimbal UFO and the other one was nicknamed the GoFast. After that article came out in 2020, just a few months ago, the Pentagon officially released these videos. So the Pentagon has officially admitted that these are unidentified aerial phenomena, that they don't know what they are. So it is no longer a question. I'm not saying it's aliens. But the Pentagon has officially admitted that these, that they don't know what the fuck these things are and they're flying around in our airspace. So this is, let's check them out. Again, officially released by the Pentagon. So the debate as to whether or not UFOs exist should be over at this point. This is the gimbal right now.
1: There's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA.
0: My you hear the guys say there's a whole fleet, you can only see well, one of them on the radar, the wind. The wind but there are actually out five out more. The
2: think,
0: now look at what he's going to talk about. This is our reference, by the way. Yes, I have props to Millennium Falcon.
2: That's
5: not our LS, though, is
2: it? It's
0: rotating. It's literally rotating. And this is going to come into play later, the rotating thing. And you already saw it in the picture, the 1966 photo. This is the GoFast, what we're looking at right now. This was captured in
5: 2015.
0: You see their reaction on radar. You can hear the operators. This also looks like a TikTok. Look how casually they're talking about this.
2: Oh my God.
0: No debate. It's no debate anymore. This is the Tic Tac. Now, we're going to go in-depth to the Tic Tac story because uh, Commander Fravor, uh, who was flying the plane, actually got to chase this thing. And he has a great story to tell about it. So I'm gonna we're going to go over that in a little bit together. But this is the Tic Tac footage. Again, this is all captured on, like, infrared. Uh, so it, it's not the most compelling stuff to see, but it is officially there on radar. Like, at least we know something was physically there. And the Tic Tac wasn't only seen on radar, four U.S. pilots got to chase it and saw it with their own eyes. So let's get into the story of Commander David Fraver, who chased the Tic Tac UFO in 2004 and listened to his story. And I was able to find an animation that someone did, a recreation of his story. So I kind of merged his interview with Lex Friedman, which I'm going to have a link for in the bottom, and that footage so you can kind of see what he's talking about.
6: As we're looking around we see now this is a it's a clear day there's no clouds and there's no white caps it's just a calm it's actually a perfect day if you owned a sailboat it was that five to ten knots of wind and you just want to kind of go out there and you're not going to get beat up and have white water come over It it was the perfect day to own a sailboat so we look there's no waves there's no wind there's no white caps and we look down and we see white water so that's what it was. We see we don't see an object because there's all kinds of, oh, they saw this. Yeah, they they saw see something underneath the water. The water. We see anything below the water. We just saw white water. But the white water, and I like to shape it. You can say it was a cross. I say it's about the size of a 737. So it looks like if you took a 737, put it about 15, 20 feet below the water so the wave is breaking over the top and you're going to get white water where the plane is at, you'd see this this kind of shape. So it looks like a cross. So as we're looking down off the right side, the back seat or in the other airplane, Jim... Says this is that talking in partials again. He says, Hey, Skipper, do you? And that's about what he gets out of his mouth. And I go, What the hell is that? In a nice, do you
7: see that? Essentially, is what he's so saying? we
6: see the white water, and that's what draws our eyes down there. Otherwise, we'd have never seen it. So we see this, this I would white have loved water, to see
7: the look on your face when you see that. Like, and then we what? see
6: this little white tic tac because yeah. we're about 20,000 feet above it, and it's doing it's going basically north, south, and then east, west, north, south. and it's abrupt, it's very abrupt. So it's not. Uh, that's like fucking a helicopter. weird, if man. If a helicopter's going sideways and it goes once, to, it's going sideways, left, and it goes right, and what it'll do is it'll go, it's got a speed, it slows down because there's inertia yeah. and it stops and then it goes back the other way. This thing's not. It's like left, right, left, right with no...
7: So moving in ways that doesn't doesn't feel intuitive to you at all. of the things you've seen in the past.
6: So as a pilot, the first thing you think is, it's a helicopter, right? Right. So you go, oh, what is... Because when we see it, it's moving, we're like, oh, helicopter. So, the first thing you look for to see if it's a helicopter when they're doing that, because usually when they get down there towards that 50 feet, you'll get rotor wash. You see it in the movies when the helicopter's by the water, it kicks, the water comes up the sides because the downdraft, you know, like a thunderstorm will do that, it pushes the air down and then it has to come up the sides. So, you see it and you go, well, there's no, there's no rotor wash. What is that thing? Hmm. So, by this time we're driving around. So, as we're, if we were at the six o'clock, we're driving around towards that nine o'clock position and we're just watching this thing and it's just, it's still pointing north, south and it's going, left right and it's kind of moving around so then i go hey i'm going to go check it out and the other pilot <laughs> says i'm going to stay up here and i said yeah stay up high cuz now we get we get a different perspective mm-hmm. so she's up here and i'm down here as i'm descending she can watch cuz right now so all i'm watching you've got two jets
0: you've got two planes she can two watch two people me per plane two-pack. so she gets four a guard's four on, highly trained
6: really important. you, know, you can hear people say military witnesses she's watching me which is, it's perfect as the story goes on because it it gives us a two perspectives, you know, of a perspective yeah. that's about 8,000 Double feet above us when that thing disappears. And they don't, you know, because if it's just like, oh, I lost it, and they go, no, it's over to the right. We can still see it. We all lost it at the same time. So I'm coming down, and as I get to 12 o'clock, as the tick Tac's doing this, it literally, it's like it be, it's aware of us, and it just goes, bloop, and it kind of points out towards the west and starts coming up. So now it's obviously knows that we're there. Whatever this thing is, it knows that we're there. So as we drive around, it, it's coming up, and I'm just coming down. We're just I'm just watching it. Now you got to remember, this whole thing is like this is like five minutes. This is not like a, we saw it and it was gone, yeah. or oh I saw lights in the sky and they were gone. We watch this thing on a crystal clear day yeah. with four trained observers. Watch it's this thing. Crazy, fly so we're like okay, and I'm driving and uh, I get to probably it's I'm probably about a half mile away. Which you think well a half mile is pretty far. A half mile in aviation isn't it's nothing. That's I mean, you can tell there's a pilot in an airplane. You can see all kinds of stuff at a half mile. You can see pretty good detail. So I'm like right there and it's coming across my nose. So now I'm basically pointing back towards east. So I'm cutting across because I'm going to the three o'clock position. It's at two o'clock and I'm going to meet it at three o'clock. So as I do this, it goes, it just accelerates and disappears. So it's, this happens at around estimating about 12,000 feet. So they're at 20. Mm -hmm. So they've got about 8,000 foot of altitude above us when this happens and it just, is it crosses our nose, it just it accelerates in literally in less than you know, probably less than a half second, it just goes and it's gone. And so we're like, and I had the first thing is, dude, did you guys see it? The other airplane's like, it's gone. We don't we have no idea where it's at. So we kind of spin around real quick. I go, Well, let's see what's down here. And I turn around, we're looking for the white water. And we can't even, the white water's gone. There's nothing. It's literally all blue. So now you go. And I, I remember telling the guy in my back seat, I go, dude, I'm I don't know about you, but I'm pretty weirded out because this is, I've, I mean, it, it, you know, I had at the time like 30 some hundred hours of flying. i had been doing it for 18 years. And
7: it's nothing like anything you've seen. No,
6: no. How
0: crazy is that? This to me is like the ultimate final proof. Like that's it. The Pentagon is releasing this information. And look, other governments have declassified their information. France has declassified their UFO information. The Russians declassified their information in 2009. The UK has been pretty open with their, uh, with their relatively UFO information, so it's just the U.S. that has been really like fucking clamped up. The fact that they released, officially released these videos, and the fact that Commander David Fravor is out there just telling the story, there's definitely something going on. Is it aliens? Is it super secret government technology? This to me is like a smoking gun. Like you don't need any more proof than this to at least say that there's definitely something flying around that even our military doesn't know what the fuck it is. I hesitated about whether or not I should talk about Bob Lazar on this podcast, mainly because there are a lot of people who do not believe Bob Lazar's story. Now, who is Bob Lazar? In 1989, a physicist by the name of Robert Lazar claimed to have worked at the S4 facility in Area 51, and he claimed that his job was to try and reverse engineer uh, a UFO, a flying saucer. At first, he didn't know what his job was. He just showed up to the area. And just started working on the ship, which he assumed was built by humans. And then the more he started to work on it, he kind of figured out that I don't think we built this. I think they hired me to try to understand how this was built and to try to replicate it. Um, Bob Lazar has stuck to his story and he's been consistent for 30 fucking years, ever since 1989 to today. He has not wavered on his story. A lot of the things that he talked about in 1989 have been proven to be true. Um, including how the how some of these ships work, the elements that they were used that they were using to power it, um, the some some of the security uh, machinery at S four that that stuff has been proven. Uh, there's a lot of interesting, and I'm going to recommend a lot of stuff for you guys to watch at the end of this. But let us watch the original 1989 interview with Bob Lazar, where he talks about a lot of a lot of this stuff. And when I saw this video, I was honestly shaken as in as a 17 year old i was like if this is true if this if what this guy is telling is true then it is absolutely insane i believe bob lazar just because of how how he talks you know he i don't know just his delivery i find the guy to be very credible uh so his story is very controversial he claims that the government has tried to erase like all of the records of him and stuff like that it's Let's check out this 1989 conversation with Bob Lazar. Uh, It's pretty fucking fascinating. And it's gonna link to a lot of the other things we're gonna be talking about.
1: How long were you employed at S4 and when were you hired? I guess early 89 and I was probably there only about six months or so uh, on a very infrequent basis.
7: What was your job description at S4?
1: My official job description was a st- senior staff physicist. Uh, I don't know if I actually had that position when I was there, because I was there so infrequently. I wasn't supervising anyone, so I, uh, that, that was the official position I was hired under. But uh, whether or not I actually acted in that capacity, I don't know. When did you see your first disk? the first disc i saw i believe it was the second or i I think it was the third time i was up there Uh, normally the bus pulled around to the opposite end of the facility on um, this particular occasion it pulled up to one of the hangar doors which were normally closed and the the last one was open we came out and i saw the disc in the hangar Uh, upon seeing it, it it struck me that well this explains all the ufo sightings not thinking that it was an extraterrestrial craft that this must have been some advanced form of fighter that we've been working on for years and you know people have just caught it being tested so on and so forth and uh it never even occurred to me even though i was looking at an extraterrestrial vehicle that you know this wasn't man-made
7: when did you realize the craft was not of earthly origin
1: well it probably really hit me when I got inside the craft and looked around and began to understand how the craft was operated and finally grasped the whole project as a whole as what we were doing. The fact that I we were building this thing, we were trying to find out how it was made. We were back engineering it. What is back engineering? Well back engineering is taking a finished product and finding out how the device or product was produced and essentially determining whether or not you can duplicate it. Uh, people have asserted that boy, that must have been the most exciting time in your life, and it, that's not the way it was when I first got to look inside the craft the, the all i can say it's an ominous feeling you walk in there and uh... it's it feels as if you shouldn't be there i know that sounds kind of corny but it's a real ominous feeling it's not an exciting feeling uh... it brings up a whole lot of questions in your mind well where did this come from and you know that they won't give you the answers to the whole story but it's uh... that's the only way i can describe it how many craft are housed at s4 and are they in fact all dish-shaped there are nine and their shapes vary i only got to do a close inspection on one of them Uh, the others i just briefly saw and they they pretty much varied i give everything nicknames there the one i worked on was kind of sleek looking and i gave it the name of sport model Um, there was one that looked like a jello mold there was one that looked like a top hat tell us about the
7: lower level of the craft where the gravity generators are located
1: i had to hang upside down in there to see the lower, uh, the lower level essentially, and there were three large gravity amplifiers. The second level was the only other level that I was on. It was the main level uh, that contained the reactor, where the seating was. So it's assumed this was not made for a human pilot. It would be extremely inconvenient for a human pilot. Humans really can't even function in there the, because of the. Ceiling clearance, uh, the seats were so tiny. Uh, it was obviously made for a creature much smaller than a human. How does the craft achieve lift? It produces a gravity wave, which is similar to the gravity wave. He's that explaining the Earth how they produces. work. However, the craft phase shifts the wave. In other words, it, it turns the wave not really an opposite polarity but something to that effect where it will work against the natural gravity wave of the earth and it produces a lift in in that effect is
7: there any internal protection for the crew does the craft generate a, a a gravitational field inside the craft itself
1: well the craft generates its own gravitational field being inside that field essentially doesn't shield you but it, essentially you're in <laughs> and this is a, a terrible way to say it almost in a different realm because you're you're now influenced only the, by that gravitational field and inertia would have no effect uh, you're you're in a distortion and don't forget that gravity distorts time and space so really nothing is going to influence you while you're in there
7: describe the gravity amplifiers for us and some of their different operating configurations
1: there are three amplifiers the craft can operate on a single one can lift off the ground the way in which gets propelled are two different ways there's what they call omicron configuration where the craft is using one generator uh, or delta configuration delta. where it's u- utilizing all three
0: remember the tilting
1: delta configuration would be for space travel essentially the craft will tilt up on its side as opposed to a science fiction movie where you see a flying saucer moving around the craft will tilt up on its side focus the three gravity generators to a single point and move through space that way so they'll use one gravity generator to lift the craft off the ground and as opposed to what we're used to for instance a plane once it's in the air we envision thrust or some force coming out the back of it to push it forward the crafts work completely opposite of that what they do is once they're hovering in the air they'll swing the gravity two remaining gravity generators up in front of them and create a distortion essentially a downhill and the craft rolls downhill for infinity it's always chasing a little distortion that's why they look goofy when they fly around at low speed
0: so basically it's creating a it's creating a gravitational distortion and it's following it. Yeah. A lot of people who see UFOs, they're never sitting, rarely sitting still. They're like moving around and wobbling kind of, as if they're on a string. That explains why.
1: I only witnessed one test flight up close officially. It was a a low performance test. I believe there were uh, some pilots or test pilots in the craft. The craft must have been retrofitted to fit them because the seating arrangements were really not accommodating. The craft lifted off the ground, uh, virtually noiseless, other than a small corona discharge on the bottom of the craft, indicating the presence of high voltage. Uh, That dissipated at about 30 feet, and it stood there completely silently and moved over to the left and to the right and sat back down. That was the entire uh, test. However, that was an extremely impressive test. Maybe to someone that really knows little about science or anything, that that wouldn't be a whole lot. But you have to realize this craft was about 52 feet in diameter. I don't know exactly how much it weighed, but it weighed a lot. And uh, this was quite, quite a scientific feat to lift something completely silently under control.
0: That's fucking crazy. So he's basically confirming that the U.S. government knows how to fly these UFOs. So... What that tells me is that some of the UFO sightings is humans, the U.S. government flying these crafts that they've recovered. How did they recover them? I don't know. But we know how to fly them. We don't know how to recreate the technology, but we've figured out how to fly them at least.
1: How are my opinions changed? Uh, I would say considerably. You know, uh, obviously the ET craft do exist. Something had to build them. So there must be aliens. And since there are and the craft are there, there must be some sort of factory and an entire civilization somewhere. And if in fact that is true, and it apparently is, then there must be others. It kind of moved from science fiction into reality in my mind. And uh, it really just, I guess, opened my eyes. The big thing is whether or not we can duplicate them duplicate it with earthly materials and earthly technology and you know unless we've got a handle on both of them all that technology is useless to us and if it turns out we can't do that all we have is one single prized possession that we have to take care of and that's it
0: he still stands by the story. There's a great documentary on Netflix about Bob Lazar. There's a great Joe Rogan interview with Bob Lazar. Um, the guy is not after fame. The guy's life was turned to shit after he came out with the story. The only reason he even went to the press was because his life was being threatened. He thought by the US government, so he figured by sharing his story, it would be some kind of insurance. Um, I believe Bob Lazar... Um, it confirms a lot of scary things like that the u.s government knows how to fly these things i know he says that they've done a lot of test flights at groom lake and in like the s4 area maybe they figured out how to fly them farther away so a lot of these sightings are maybe the u.s government i don't know and if you think that this is a bunch of bullshit, there is a very fa- a prestigious harvard astrophysicist called dr rudolph schild um He's even on camera saying that what Bob Lazar says is extremely credible. Uh, let me try to find that.
6: Last question. We were talking off camera before the interview began about Bob Lazar and some of the statements that he had made. You've, you've looked at that information.
8: Yes. Now, I haven't, I've only come across this fairly recently since I do research on, you know, distant quasars and black holes and uh, um, dark matter and things of that kind. And I'm rather new to this. And um, I have found Bob Lazar's materials to be extremely convincing.
5: And Bob Lazar, the movie, Harvard to me, physicist. is unfortunately
8: about the question of is his testimony real and is he real and all of that, which I am not the least bit interested in. I am interested in the part where he discusses the small segment of the UFO craft that he was allowed to work on and where he did know uh, exactly how the uh, the uh, the parts were manufactured
0: anyways just this is just a little bit of extra credibility Um, this is the Bob Lazar story I'm gonna give you guys some cool recommendations later but yeah this was one of the big influences on me was this story and I think he's a very very convincing uh, witness Do you guys want to talk about how aliens fuck with our nuclear weapon facilities? This shit's fucking scary. So in 1967, a UFO appeared at a nuclear facility. And uh, this is a story as told by Commander, I think, Robert Salas. Again, highly trained military personnel. Um, Let's check this out, man. And this is cool because this has happened with the Russians as well. They have reports of... UFOs appearing at their nuclear facilities, either disabling their weaponry or turning or activating them, basically just like letting us know, like, hey, you guys ain't shit. We can fuck with you guys. Check it.
9: My name is Robert Solis. I was in the Air Force uh, active duty after I graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1964 until 1971. In uh, uh, March of 1967, I was stationed at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, uh, as a missile launch officer, Minuteman missiles. I was downstairs 60 feet underground in a capsule, uh, monitoring and uh, controlling 10 uh, nuclear-tipped Minuteman missiles. Uh, I got a call that morning uh, that they were seeing strange lights flying in the sky. I, I disregarded that call. I uh, told him to uh, call me when something more significant happened. Um, I got another call uh, subsequent to that call, and this time it was a more uh, intense tone in the in the guard's uh, voice is very clearly very frightened. Um, he said there was a uh, a bright glowing red object hovering outside the front gate. It was oval shaped. Uh, he had all the other guards out there with their weapons drawn. Right after that call, I woke up my commander, who was on rest period, uh, uh, Fred Mywald, a retired colonel now, uh, and uh, told him about the phone calls. As I was telling him about the phone calls, my weapons started going down, uh, one after the other. They went into a no-go condition, what we call a no-go condition. They were unlaunchable. Um, <clears throat> we lost uh, somewhere between uh... six and eight weapons that morning uh, within minutes of having received that second phone call of uh, a ufo hovering outside the front gate again that morning we were, after reporting it to the uh, command post uh, we, were, we were informed that a similar very similar incident happened at echo flight uh... i was at oscar flight uh, they lost all ten of their weapons and under similar circumstances, very similar circumstances, where UFOs were sighted over the launch facilities. Uh, they, had, they had maintenance crews and security crews out there that had spent the night, and they were reporting UFOs over those sites. Those witnesses uh, that I just mentioned, the, the names I just mentioned, are, uh, have, have spoken of this event before, and they will back up this story. Uh, we also have documentation uh, that I received uh, through FOA requests from the Air Force uh, outlining the, the ECHO flight incident and including in, in that documentation a reference to UFOs. I'm willing to testify to the truth of all these matters that I've spoken about this in front of Congress under oath. Thank you.
0: Honestly, I think they were trying to send us a message. Like, don't fuck with this kind of technology. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. And by the way, UFO activities sharply increased after like 1945 when we started testing out nuclear weaponry and shit like that. Like, who knows, man? Who fucking knows? But this is one of the extremely convincing stories. Again, highly trusted witnesses, highly trained military. Uh, yeah, man. They can Like, our nuclear weapons are toys them so we got to take this shit fucking seriously man (laughs) okay if you guys have made it this far into the video you guys are fucking champions not only are you a do not warrior you are a motherfucking do not two star general this story is the most convincing story this this story had me believing in ufos and aliens not just ufos but aliens before i ever heard of the tic tac With or without the Bob Lazar story, if you had just shown me this video, it is enough to convince me. This is a mass sighting of 62 children in a school in Zimbabwe in 1994. These 62 kids saw a disc landing with possibly like two smaller little things floating around it. And they saw an alien step out of that ship and walk around it. These kids were then interviewed by a Harvard psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, John Mack, who's one of the greatest and who was a good friend of Carl Sagan's. And I have that footage um, of that interview, and it is honestly riveting. These kids, the way these kids tell that story, the way they all tell the exact same thing with the exact same details, the way they draw what they saw, honestly gives me fucking goosebumps. The hair on the back of my neck stands when I watch this video. It is eerie. It is is so convincing to me. I don't think these kids can lie. Um, And 30 years later, these kids still stand by their story. There's a documentary called The Phenomenon. The last 20 minutes of it focuses on these kids and on this story. And I'm so happy that it does because this story doesn't have any mainstream attention. And I've known this fucking story for years. I show it to everyone I can think of. I I bring it up on first dates sometimes, which is a horrible idea. never talk about any of this shit on any first date, by the way. Horrible idea. I've learned the hard way. Uh, if you watch no other chapter from tonight's episode, and if you only watch this one, honestly, it is enough. Uh, let us watch it together. Uh, I hope you find it as convincing as I did all these years ago, and I still do. Um, let's check it out.
9: In September 1994, I'm already getting 60 goosebumps. children from this school in the suburbs of Harare, Zimbabwe, witnessed several objects landing and two beings coming out. Just over two months later, John and Dominique came to the scene to work with the children, their parents, and the teachers still suffering from shock. John, who essentially specialized in child psychiatry, look devoted at the a kids, great deal of look time at their to eyes, interviewing the children.
0: Listen to how they're talking. Something
8: scared you, is that right? Is yes. It, what, what scared you?
3: The noise.
8: What noise?
3: The noise that we heard in the air.
8: You heard a noise in the air? Yes. What was it like? Like a roar or a buzz or a hum or what kind of a noise?
3: It was like someone was blowing a flute. It was scary myself.
8: It was scary because you saw something yourself? Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. I saw a little object hovering. It was quite big, actually, and then there were little ones all around it. We saw something silver and then we quickly ran to the loup to the logs and we saw a silver silver thing and we saw a man standing next to it. Well,
8: what, was it what did it feel like when he was looking at you?
3: I felt scared. It,
8: it felt scared? What was scary about it?
3: Well I felt scared because I've never seen such a person like that before.
8: Did you see the eyes? What did they look like?
3: They were um, going like that.
8: -hmm. Where was the pointy part? It was the pointy part in here, or was the pointy part out there, up there? And I one hundred percent believe these fucking
0: kids. One hundred percent.
3: It was scary. Mm
8: Mhm. And what scary? Why? What made it scary?
3: The eyes looked evil.
8: Evil. Mm Mhm. And what was evil about them? Mm
3: -hmm. Say
8: what you mean by evil.
3: It it looked evil because it was just staring at me.
8: With what? Staring at you as if what? As if to do what?
3: As if it wanted to come and take us.
8: As if it wanted to come and take you. That was the feeling you got? That it wanted you to go with it? Did you feel like you wanted to go with it? No. Did you feel? What was the effect on you when, when you felt it wanted to have you go with it? What
3: I just um, walked away and I started crying. They came running up here in such a panic, and I mean, even if we wanted to come and take it, us, not have run all together like that. Fucking crushes me. Even yeah. if we practiced it, I don't know how many times, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they came up here like a living snake, and they just came. We were in a staff meeting and we just heard them screaming, screaming. Ah! And then they were, here, you know. And a child can't make that up. <laughs> I was very
5: skeptical in the beginning as well. Um, I believed that they'd seen something, but I wasn't prepared to accept that it was anything supernatural or anything like that. But I think the consistency of of what's been going on indicates that it was more than I was prepared to admit in the beginning.
3: So both of them were running. One was running um, in the trees, and the other one was running running across the ship, Mm -hmm. because there were also trees here. Mm
8: The eyes were, were like more pointed as they came in toward the center of the yes. head, is that? Okay.
3: No, more circular, and this was all black
8: All black, now it you've made pupils. Of did they actually have pupils, or yes, was it solid the pupils were black? white. What? The
3: pupils were white like that. And
8: you saw white in the center?
3: Yes, like that.
8: Mm-hmm. Was he near the, uh, the silver object, or was he far? No, on
3: top.
8: On top of the silver yes. object? Bro, that's fucking okay. creepy, man. And um, did you look at him? Yes. Did he look at you?
3: Yes. Then he gave me the creeps, then I stopped looking at it. Gave head. you
8: the creeps. <laughs> Actually, in your drawing you showed him standing man, up. Man, this kid is see? so funny. Yes, These kids are him so adorable, I standing up because I couldn't draw sitting.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: man.
3: What I thought was maybe the, the world's going to end. Maybe they're telling us the world's going to end.
8: Um, well, why do you think they might want us to be scared?
3: Mm. Because, um, maybe because we we don't look after the planet and the area properly. Mm -hmm.
8: And, uh, let me, this is, is this an idea that uh, you have had before that we don't look after the planet properly in the air? Or did this idea come to you when you had this experience?
3: When I had this experience, I just felt all horrible inside.
8: You felt horrible. At what point did you feel that? When you saw the craft, or at, when you got home at night, or when I got home, you had that horrible feeling when you got home. Yes. And to say more about that horrible feeling, Lisa. What was it like?
3: It was like in the world, all the trees will just go down, and and there will be no air, and people will be dying.
9: Mm-hmm. And
8: those thoughts came to you. Had you had those thoughts before this experience? No. No. And did how did those thoughts come to you? Some did people they come say that he's asking,
0: like leading. He's leading the, the kids with these questions. From, I think he's,
8: he's fucking the brilliant the way he's asking these and questions. And the man did the man say those things to you? Uh, how did he get that across to you?
3: Well, he never said anything. It's just that the
8: face is the eyes. What was the sense you got from those eyes?
3: He was interested.
8: The way
0: she says he was... I do goosebumps. The way she says he was interested. Like.
8: They uh, describe these experiences or these events like a person talks about something that has happened to them. Uh, and. When you're talking with a, a psychotic who's telling you something and it's a delusion and you feel that it really didn't happen, I can tell. I mean, I know this is something that person wants me to believe, or they're frightened, or they're distorting reality in some way. There's nothing like that here. These are people of sound mind, by and large, uh, telling me something that's very... Uh, they know that I might think they're crazy, and so they're a little concerned about telling me. and and they they're very full of questioning themselves and doubt and i mean the way and then they describe something very real and intense a light or something happened to their body or uh, they it, it's the whole quality of the way they talk about it is the way a person talks about experiences that, that happened to them
0: like i said these kids have been um there's a bunch of videos on youtube interviews with these kids as adults still standing by the story they still don't know what the fuck happened, but they, you know, they saw aliens and they saw this ship land. 62 of them. Um, all of them still stand by their story. Their teachers stand by their stories. There was a similar case 50 years ago in Australia at a school. 300 kids, 300 kids saw a UFO flying over their school. Then it landed nearby. A few of the kids ran towards the UFO and saw like a, a being stepping outside. I think in the 80s, a police officer called Lonnie Zamora. Saw a tic-tac-shaped UFO land and he saw two alien beings walking outside. There were footprints. There was radiation. I would be interested to see if you guys believe these kids. Because I 100% do. And let me know in the comments. Because uh, it's I've seen this video dozens of times. And it still shakes me every time I see it. Because like, there's definitely something out there. And we're sitting here clueless, focused on social media and focused on all this dumb shit. When these existential things are fucking happening and have happened in our past and we don't talk about it in conclusion based on everything we saw based on the military reports and the pentagon videos based on the bob lazar story based on the zimbabwe story based on the robert salas nuclear weapon story based on roswell new mexico based on all this stuff on all on these hundreds of stories that i didn't even get into I 100% believe that there are unidentified flying objects in our skies. Things that we don't understand that are flying around. I also believe that some of these crafts are flown by aliens. Weird little small gray alien beings with big black eyes. The aliens that we've all grown to know over the years in pop culture. I believe that these things exist and they are flying these ships. Are they aliens? Are they... I don't know where the fuck they come from. Did they come from the core of the earth? Uh, there's legitimately a theory that says that like the US government does experiments on like disabled kids to make them look like aliens, to put them in these ships, to trick people into... Like I said earlier, when you get into UFO stuff, it could go into so many crazy wild directions that it's very hard to stay focused. So me trying to stay focused... I would say that yes, I believe that there are aliens. I also believe, like Bob Lazar said, that we've been able to not back-engineer them yet, but we know how to fly the ones that we already have. So some of the UFO sightings that we see, I'm sure it is military people flying this stuff, humans flying this stuff. Have we at this point in 2020 figured out how to build this stuff and recreate this technology? Possibly. Maybe the Tic Tac was an American ship and maybe they're just flying it around their own people to see how they would react. I don't know. I don't have any answers but after years of research and years of of immersing myself in this this is like the the closest to a conclusion that I can get to. UFOs exist. Some of them are flown by what I think are aliens. Some of them are flown by humans who have recovered these crafts and maybe we at this point have been able to build and recreate that technology ourselves. It's not satisfying to not have answers. I hope that we get some kind of disclosure and I think we're getting closer because more and more of this stuff is slowly leaking out to the public. We're getting to a point where I honestly don't know how much longer the government can hide this for. Um, So I I hope it happens within my lifetime. I hope I don't end up like there's so many people who've been working on this for years, like Jacques Vallée, George Knapp, uh, Jaime Maussan over in Mexico, all these fucking crazy UFO enthusiasts who... Might die without ever getting any answers. So I hope I'm not one of them. I hope I get to find out what happened. This is what I believe. I hope you guys were convinced by what you saw. Let me give you guys a few recommendations and some things to watch if you want to get into this more. Watch the David Fravor, uh, the commander who chased the Tic Tac. He did an interview with Lex Friedman. It's a great podcast. It's like two hours. It's three hours long. It's very interesting though. Um, Watch that one. Watch the Bob Lazar interview with Joe Rogan. Watch the Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers documentary on Netflix. So the David Fravor interview with Lex Friedman is on YouTube. The Bob Lazar interview with Joe Rogan is on YouTube. The Bob Lazar documentary is on Netflix. There's a show called The Basement Office. Um, It was done by the New York Post and it's co-hosted by Nick Pope, the guy we talked about a bunch. He's considered like the molder of the UK's UFO research. He was responsible for the UK government's UFO research. And the, the thing I would recommend the most is a documentary called The Phenomenon. Now, I rented it on Amazon. If you had to pick one of those things to watch, I would recommend The Phenomenon because it is the most comprehensive collection of the most convincing and the most credible cases from pictures, from military sightings to stories like the Zimbabwe one. Just credible stuff with, with the mass sightings, many credible witnesses, military witnesses, radar visuals, all that sort of thing. So the phenomenon, and I'm going to have a list of this in the description below. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this insane episode. I don't even know how the fuck I'm going to edit this, man, to be honest with you. I I don't know what the fuck I just did. If you guys enjoyed it, I hope you did. Um, Please leave a like. Please leave a comment. Let me know what you think about all this shit. What was the most convincing story you saw? What was the least convincing story you saw? Like, comment, subscribe. Become a do not warrior. Let us hit 2,000 subscribers in the next three weeks. Thank you so much guys, and as usual, do not worry. Do not worry.